2: Friends, I'm not given to wild unsupported statements, and I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately. jor be reasonable. Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater capacity for good. Moment that world was destroyed, but there was one survivor. Now, wouldn't that be to all get out? Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jorel, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he set us his only son his name is Kal-El he will call himself Clark Kent but the world will know him as Superman this year, Superman brings you the gift of flight Superman the movie
0: Welcome to episode eleven, the tragedy of, of the tragedy of cinema.
1: A special episode,
0: special 11. episode. Superhero, matter of fact, probably my favorite superhero of all time. Very nice. We will be talking about the movie Superman. So, but before we get into that, um, there's a couple things we'd like to do. First of all, if you just listened to our previous episode, our first listener review uh, by Emily Iaconelli. Uh, she wrote this on Facebook because we had a question about the ending of the movie, and this is what she had to say. She said, oh, it was so good. It was an uh, awesome review. I have to go back and rewatch it now to look up for all the oddities. But according to the ending, this is what she thought. A vertigo, of course. A vertigo, yes. The ending seems abrupt, yes, but I always um, thought she threw herself from the tower. She had a ton of guilt and was panicked after realizing he figured it out. She was freaking out being in the bell tower where all the mess had started. The shadowy figure or the nun, could have been perceived as the ghost of the dead wife, maybe. Like in that moment, all of her guilt and anxiety just came crashing down. The shadowy figure freaked her out, and she jumped. Ironically, all he could do after finally conquering his fear of heights was to literally stare at her as he had done almost the entire movie. Just gaze at her in silence, and he was stunned. So that's something I never really thought about. I thought it was really well written, so I thought I'd throw that in there. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's an amazing interpretation. Uh, once again, thank you for the email. It's always awesome. Or, no, that was Facebook, that was right? I think okay. yes. well, uh, she also sent a Facebook message. Absolutely. To you, so. Uh, so, you know, any messages are well appreciated emails, comments, all well appreciated. Uh, this particular one was uh, very welcome, especially because uh, it was something that we had uh, asked about ourselves. Uh, um, so it was really cool seeing that breakdown. And I actually can see that.
0: And uh, before we get any further, today is June sixth. It is D-Day, um, June sixth, nineteen forty-four, the invasion of Normandy. And uh, we'd like to take a moment, you know, and say thank you to all our military men because it's of the brave and uh, sacrificial uh, of those people's uh, lives and service that we have some of the freedoms that we have today. And even though we're talking about Superman. I really believe the real superheroes in the Superman were the men on those boats going onto the beach that day, so just remember that. Not all heroes wear capes.
1: Terrence, you got anything to add to that? Some wear boots and Kevlar helmets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so thank you. So, Terrence, your question for the day, don't think I forgot, is if you could have one of Superman's power, what would it be?
1: If I can have one of Superman's powers, uh, I would go with his, his speed. The speed, yeah, absolutely. And just uh, to get your work day done faster, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I, I and I would just be a couple steps behind the flash, right? Um,
0: I always thought flying would be cool. I mean, you ever had those dreams where you feel like you're flying? Yeah, it's just so cool just to fly above the trees and all that, but just also to get you know, save on gas, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, I thought you would said x ray vision, knowing you, but you know,
1: <laughs> I'm a also, man. How could you?
0: Here's something I did not know, Terrence. Do you know what the first superhero movie of all time was?
1: oof um that's a really good question i don't know this one okay
0: it came out in 1916 and it was called jude or judex j-u-d-e-x it's the means it's latin for judge Hmm. judex didn't have any powers but see if this sounds familiar he was a vigilante who defended the innocent while keeping his identity secret by wearing a dark cloak and a broad brimmed hat he used high-tech for 1916 gadgets to fight bad guys, and his secret hideout was located in the caverns underneath a castle.
1: Huh. So Batman Basically, before Batman. Basically, he was
0: practically Batman 23 years before Batman was ever created.
1: That's crazy. Well, it's funny because when you said Judge, Judge Dredd popped in my head, but then you gave description, and I was like, okay, that's Batman.
0: <laughs> so um,
1: I do like Judge Dredd, though.
0: This, um, since this is a superhero, and it, or a superhero movie and a Superman, and it's my favorite superhero, this may be a two-parter. Um, we're going to see how this goes. We may break it down into two parts just because there's so much information, and I really want to do this justice, and it's my favorite, and it's my podcast. So guess what? <laughs> if I want to, we will. But we'll see how it goes, and
1: uh, we'll go from here. So, Terrence, let's go ahead and kick this off so we get to some of the good stuff. All right. So, Superman, release date, December fifteenth, nineteen 1978. Its budget was $55 million, estimated. Uh, and by today's standards, we're looking at... Uh, 215.5 million uh, gross USA 134 million uh, we're looking at 5 525 million in today's dollars. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross we're looking at 166 million and that's 650.5 million estimated in today's currency. So that it it definitely made back it's you know oh, yeah. uh, and more. So uh, it just goes to show how good of a movie it is, even at the time. Uh, and besides, uh, you know, the movie Judex, I don't, I don't know if anything came out between those. But
0: obviously... There did, because we really? will be covering one. Oh, if you okay. remember the 1966 Batman TV show, the oh, Batman movie came okay. out. okay.
1: Did that happen before? It did. Superman? Okay, And there gotcha. was also
0: a lot of um, TV serials, like the George okay. Lee, Superman, Superman, yeah. Batman, uh, Captain America. Yeah. They all... Uh, matter of fact... I don't think it came before this, but the incredible Hawk TV show series.
1: That's right. So actor for that was awesome. He was just so slow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <A Lou Frigno? laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, he was just like, he was actually just a big dude. And I, was, I thought that was amazing. Uh, so moving on, uh, this was directed by Richard Donner. Uh, writing credits goes to Jerry Siegel and Joe uh, Shuster So, uh, Jerry Siegel was the character that created Superman, right? right? And uh, Joe uh, Shuster was uh, also someone who helped to create Superman Mm -hmm. originally. And that was back uh, with the Action Comics line. Uh, I don't remember what year it came out.
0: Uh, Action number one, I believe, was 19. I'll
1: have
0: to look it up while you're
1: kidding. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, no, uh, that that comic, the, 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 the number, just a little. Like tidbit side scroll, uh, or <laughs> sidebar, uh, that very first comic is expensive. Like, if you have it,
0: actually, comics Ooh. 1938. There we go, the
1: 1938. Ball. Very first superhero comic. Oh,
0: by the way, here's one of DC Comics, uh, Superman number one, uh, card grade at a 4.0, which that's not a very good,
1: exactly. Like, you're looking it at it is still showing. selling
0: for $477,955. And that's a grade of
1: 4.0 And that just shows how incredibly rare, rare. Yep. Uh, the original is. Of course, there have been reprints. Now, if you have the original, that is the expensive one. So, anyway, uh, back to the writing credits. Uh, we're looking at Mario Puzo, who ra- wrote the story. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay, David Newman, with David Newman, Leslie Newman, and Robert Benton. Uh, all of them collaborated on the screenplay. Uh, and Tom Makowitz who also wrote the screenplay but was uncredited. Uh, so now moving on to technical aspects, its runtime is 2 hours and 23 minutes. So it seems like superhero movies have always been long movies.
0: Of course, because yeah. especially back then that you had to give... You didn't just have an origin movie, you had an origin movie plus a plot exactly. afterwards. Exactly, yep.
1: So. Uh, so, And that was the 1980 release in the USA. And you actually get another extra almost 30 minutes. Uh, two hours and 31 minutes uh, in the 2000 restoration. So there's probably some scenes that were taken out that were added. Almost like a director's cut without yep. calling a director's cut, right? Yep. Uh, and then the, there is an extended version, which makes it even <laughs> longer. And we're looking at three hours and eight minutes. Now we're looking at like... Today, Hero Movies length, <laughs> right? right? Uh, so the sound mix is 70mm 6-track on 70mm prints. Uh, this is Dolby's 35mm prints mono. Let me flip my page here. Uh, another color movie. Aspect ratio, 2.35 by 1. So this is interesting. Uh, it's a different aspect ratio than most of what we've seen, right? Um, the camera panavision psr uh, r200 panavision c series lenses if you guys remember this was the panavision camera was super popular to use late 70s all through the 80s uh, uh the laboratory was tvc laboratories new york usa uh kim tone processes uh technicolor Uh, Film length, we're looking at 3,940 meters in 1979, 35 millimeter version, uh, and a negative format of 35 millimeters. Uh, The cinematographic process, we're looking at Panavision, uh, animographic, printed film format, 35 millimeters, and 70 millimeter blown up, right? Finally, moving into the awards. Academy Awards USA 1979, winner, Special Achievement Award, Les Bowie. Colin Chiver, uh, Chilvers, Dines N. Coop, Roy Field, Derek Mittings, Zoran Prisic for Visual Effects, nominee Oscar, Best Sound, Gordon K. McCallum, Graham V. Hearthstone, Nicholas L- Lee Monsieur interesting, uh, Roy Charman and Best Film Editing for uh, Stuart Buried. And best musical original score, John
0: Williams. (laughs) You know, really, is is that guy, I mean, I don't know if there'll ever be another one of him. I mean,
1: just all the movies that he's Definitely uh, a man. Iconic. uh, Yeah, just We should do a whole episode just
0: on John Williams.
1: We could do it, yeah. I would be 100% up for that.
0: (laughs) Let us know what you think. Would you like a A John Williams? But
1: it's John Williams. A little quick thing about John Williams. There's this... uh, Uh, Just show how, like, cool of a dude he is. Um, There was a kid, and there's a video of this, too. I've seen it. Yep, where the kid comes up, and he plays, I believe, the intro to Star Wars, right? I think so. Uh, And he nails it. And so John Williams himself comes out of his house to tell him how he nailed the song. He's like, those notes are really hard to hit, and you did it. Like... Good on you, kid. uh, So it was really cool for him to come out and be like, hey, thanks for playing my song and you're doing great. And, you know, just really encourage him to keep going because obviously the kid's going places. Very good musician. Uh, So, yeah, pretty awesome. Now, moving on. Golden Globes, USA 1979. Nominee, Golden Globe, Best Original Score, Motion Picture, John Williams. Uh, The B.A.F.T.A. Awards 1979 winner for the BAFTA Film Award, Most Promising Newcomer to Leading Film Roles, Christopher Reeve. Outstanding. Nominee, BAFTA Film Award, Best Cinematography, uh, Jeffrey Unsworth. Best Production Design, Art Direction, John Barry, Best Sound. Chris uh, Greenham, Gordon K. McKellum, Peter Pinnell, Mike Hopkins, Pat Foster, Stan Fearman, John Foster, Roy Charman, Norman uh, Boland, Brian Marshall, Charles Smith. Richard uh, Raguse, Chris Large. That's and that is all in the production design and art direction. So they had a huge team.
0: You know what? I'm proud that. of you. You're actually knowing the names to, so far today. You're actually doing pretty good. I'm
1: just reading them more confidently.
0: (laughs) So it seems like I'm
1: nailing them, Even though you
0: may mess up, just say it with confidence,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) Fake it till you make it. Uh, Now we're looking at... uh, Oh, and um, uh, best supporting role, Gene Hackman. So good. Uh, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. So uh, this is 2012. And this actually... uh, We're going backwards right because uh, they actually uh this movie pops up in multiple for multiple years in the academy uh, of science fiction and fantasy horror films so to avoid saying that really long name of this awards the next like four i'll just name the year that it is right so uh nominee saturn award best dvd collection warner bros for superman 2 superman 2 II, superman 3 superman uh Excuse me. For The Quest for Peace and Superman Returns as part of the Superman Motion Picture Anthology, 1978 to 2006. Uh, Now we're looking in 2007. uh, They were nominated for a Saturn Award Best DVD Collection, same thing. Uh, 2002, nominee, Best DVD Classic Film Release. Then finally, in 19. Seventy nine, They won the Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film. Uh, also, Best Actress for Margaret Kidder. And Best Music, John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we say his name a lot, oh, yeah. we should. Oh, there's even more. So, uh, Best Special Effects, Colin Chiver- Chivers. Chilvers. Best Production Design, John Barry. Nominated, nominated uh, for Saturn Award Best Actor, Christopher Reeve. So didn't win this time But they were nominated So that's all Like, like we've said before That's still something Best Supporting Actress Valerie uh, Perrine Perrine Okay I just wanted to make Because she's one of the You know Main uh, uh, Roles So I wanted to really? get her what name What role did right? she play? What's that? What role did she play? Lois Lane no. No? I don't know, man. <laughs> He's like, why do you always put me on the spot like that? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movie, but I don't... Like, I know Christopher Reeve, but I don't right. know any of the other actors. Well, I know you know Gene Hackman, right? Okay, yeah. The, Gene okay Ackman. Well, we'll get to it. I'll, I'll clear yeah. you up here in a little bit. I've, now that I think about it, I've always... Especially with, uh, for some reason, uh, besides, like... Actresses that you always see—I have trouble remembering actresses' names. I'm like, ah, oh, I know her face, I know the role she's <laughs> played, I don't know her name, and that's even with a handful of actors too. Uh, it wasn't until actually uh, in later in life when I really became a film, you know, movie buff that I started remembering actors and actresses' names. But there's still so many that I know. I don't know their names. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Um, Best director: Richard Donner. Best costumes: Yvonne Blake and Richard Bruno. Uh, American Cinema Editors, USA, 1979, nominated Eddie uh, Best and uh, Edit it film feature: uh, Stuart Baird. So they did an amazing job editing, uh, and especially at, at this time, you know, late '80s, the uh, doing. What they did special effects-wise, that takes a lot of editing, too. Uh, so, big props, obviously, to them. They got a nomination. Uh, that's great. British Society of Cinematographers, 1978, nominated for Best Cinematography Award, Jeffrey Uns- Un- Unsworth. DVD Exclusive Awards, 2001. Nominee, Video Premiere Award, Best Overall New Extra Features, Library Title. Paul Street, uh, Jonathan Gaines... And Michael Tao. So there must have been, like, a lot of extra features in the in the DVD release. Oh, I'm sure there uh, is. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, so now we're looking at the Golden Schmooze Award <laughs> 2006. I, I left it there because it, it it's just one we haven't ever. Yeah, right? Um, they were nominated for the Golden Schmooze. Uh, well, hey, Best that's a DVD. silver seashell at least. <laughs> I know, right? This time it's the Golden Schmooze. Uh, uh, Best DVD Blu-ray of the year This is back to the Ultimate Collection For Superman Uh, Golden Screen This is in Germany Uh, 1979 uh, Winner for Golden Screen Um, I also left this here because it just shows That even won awards overseas That's how good of a movie it was Really fun Uh, Grammy Awards, 1980 winner. Grammy, Best Album of Original Mm. Score Written for a Motion Picture or Television Special. Let me guess. John John Williams. Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Best Instrumental Composition. John John Williams. Williams. (laughs) For the Prelude and Main Title March nominee, Grammy, Best Pop Instrumental Performance. John Williams, (laughs) for the prelude and main title march. Uh, Now off to the Hugo Awards, 1979. Winner, Hugo, Best Dramatic Presentation, Richard Donner, director. Uh, Mario Puzo, uh, story and screenplay. David Newman, Leslie Newman, Robert Benton, all for screenplay. Jerry Siegel, and Joe Suster for story. And that... Oh wait, nope! I thought that wrapped it up. There's one more. The Satellite Awards 2006 <laughs> winners Satellite Award Best Overall DVD: Superman Ultimate Collector's Edition, which I know so many people who own that collection <sighs> because it's. it's if yeah, I mean, if especially if you're a Superman fan. You have to have the collection. Like, if you don't... If you're a Superman fan and you don't have this collection, what are you doing? I just... I just don't... I just... You know, they keep
0: trying, but I just don't think they can get anybody to nail it just like Christopher Reeve did. I mean, he just nailed it, knocked it out of the park. You know what I mean? I mean, perfect casting. I mean...
1: Uh, absolutely. I I, uh, I would say... I mean, it's like we've discussed in a previous uh, podcast, you know, we were hyping up this episode, right? And that's... uh when you find an actor who can really nail a, a role of a superhero, they are now cemented as the sort of the high bar and no one really could ever reach that bar, right? like in my opinion, like obviously this, this came out in in your time, right? I this Well, came, it
0: came out in what was it, nineteen seventy eight.
1: 79?
0: Yeah. I was two years old.
1: So So yeah, I mean you saw it when you were a kid, you know? Right. Um So, you know, this is way before my time. I've seen it. Great movie. Uh, But for me, uh, for me, it's like, okay. so you're how Superman is to you. uh, Christopher Reeve is to you is how Hugh Jackman and Logan are for me. Like no one will ever nail Wolverine because to me, Wolverine is Hugh Jackman. Uh, and that would be like sort of the oldest like superhero uh, I can pull from sort of my generation. <laughs> I mean, right. it really was. It wasn't a, a, a good super. Like once X Men came out, that was huge, right? But uh, that
0: but that X Men cartoon to- from the '90s, that Wolverine's voice was outstanding. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I just
0: wonder what he looked like. You know, he's right. and, uh, That's the, um, and like Kevin Conley as Batman. I'm, I, like,
1: I, oh, absolutely. And then uh, uh, who's the 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 original voice actor for Superman? Um, it's like uh, can I can't think of his name. Tom something. Uh, I-, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Anyway, once again, very iconic for being his voice, right. in Superman. So uh, just how uh, you know you have your uh, iconic Joker, Heath Ledger, but then you have the Joker voice, Mark, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, who to me, like every time someone says, "Who do you think is the best Joker?" I always say Mark Hamill just because he has his voice <laughs> is amazing. It's, it's so perfect. It just really is. Um, anyway. Uh, Oh, yeah, okay. So, I did finish up the Satellite Award. That was the last award. Uh, And now we're getting into the synopsis. So, when an alien planet is about to be destroyed, Jor-El and his wife make a heartbreaking decision to send their son to a distant planet known as Earth. It is here that he falls from the sky into the loving arms of Jonathan and Martha Kent. Showing signs of superpowers, he disguises himself under the name Clark Kent, But to the world, he will soon become known as Superman.
0: (laughs) All right, we're getting ready to jump into the cast. This cast is star-studded. Bring in the cast. I mean, there's some names in here you're going to be really familiar with uh, because of other stuff they have done. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. First, Marlon Brando. well, Probably one of the most iconic actors of all time. He played Jor-El. Gene Hackman... (laughs) I mean, what can you say? Right there, them two guys. Oh yeah, Hollywood legends. Uh, he played Lex Luthor. Christopher Reeve played Superman and Clark Kent. Ned Beatty played Otis. Um, Jackie Cooper, Perry White. Glenn Ford, Pa Kent. Margot Kidder played Lois Lane. Valerie Perrine played Eva Tesmacher. You remember, uh, when he's like, Miss Tesmacher. Yep, yeah Okay. Yeah. Uh, Terence Stamp played General Zod. Even though he only has a little part in this movie, in Superman 2, which is probably my favorite superhero movie of all time, he really makes an impact. Great side. And also, he
1: spells his first name
0: the same way I do. <laughs> which, now he's got one mark against him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phyllis Thaxter played Ma Kent, Susanna York, Laura, and Jeff East played the young Clark Kent. And I didn't know it was another actor I until no I was in this. Yeah. Because
1: I mean, he I... looks so much like he, but just a younger version. It's an amazing pick.
0: So for the biography I, I went I went with the main character, I went with Christopher After, Reeve, just yeah. because of everything he did. So his date of death and de- our date of birth, date of death, he was born nine twenty five of nineteen fifty two, and he died october tenth, two thousand four. He came from an upper class family, and one of his maternal great grandfathers was Supreme Court Justice Malon Pitney.
1: Hmm.
0: You Ready for this? You know how it's weird that we just pick these movies randomly sometimes, and but the tie-ins have tied to all the podcasts or somewhere along the way that we've done.
1: Yeah, Here we go. World, right?
0: Attended Cornell University, where during his final year, he was one of two students selected to study at the famous New York Juilliard, Juilliard School under John Houseman. The other student? Some guy named Robin Williams. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Although he is best known for his role as Superman, his acting spans far greater. Paralyzed after a horse riding accident, he died suddenly at age 52 after several years of living and working with his severe disability. And I remember when this happened. I remember the news break on this. Yeah. Um, I think he was actually filming something about horse safety, and like a beast on the horse so. yeah, yeah. kicked him up. He was also a licensed pilot.
1: That's awesome. Okay.
0: He gained 30 pounds for the role of Superman.
1: That's all muscle.
0: (laughs) He was offered the roles. We get this. He was offered the roles in Running Man and Total Recall, both who which turned went to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but turned them down for more challenging roles. He also turned down the lead in Romancing the Stone. Also was going to play the part of Richard Gere in Pretty Woman, but decided not to after the casting director gave a half-hearted effort during their (laughs) read-through. I think uh, I like how he's like, nah, you're just not for me. You know, I can't work with you.
1: (laughs) I think it would. It would. It it would have made Total Recall a totally different movie.
0: That's like any actor, though. That's very true. You go back because you've already got it.
1: But I still think it would have been good. Like, really good. Absolutely.
0: Attended the Supergirl movie in 1984 premiere with Helen Slater. At the time he was paralyzed, he had been doing a film on horseback riding safety. Jane Seymour's son, who uh, Jane Seymour played in Somewhere in Time with him, which is probably be a movie we cover eventually, uh, was named after him. He was roommates with Robin Williams at Juilliard. They remained close friends for the remainder of his life. Williams helped pay for his medical bills during his final years and dedicated his Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award to Reeve. So they became pretty good friends.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Get this. His weight trainer for Superman, this movie, was British weightlifting champion David Prowse, who played iconic Darth Vader in Star Wars Episode Four. Uh, A New Hope, Star Wars Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back, and Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. So right. he got trained by Darth Vader. <laughs> that's pretty awesome.
1: I, I just always think it's funny that uh, that that's, you know the same guy who played Vader uh, did not know his voice was going to be James Earl dubbed by right. James George Jones. But uh,
0: I actually yeah. met David Pross. I actually got his autograph somewhere. That's uh, awesome. I met him in like uh, Celebration 2 or 3 here in Indianapolis. So. That's super cool. He was really cool. Uh, attended Juilliard with actor Kevin Conroy, who later went on to provide the voice of Batman for the animated uh, Bruce (laughs) Timm series. Uh, His close friend, Jane Seymour, used to call him Superfoot because of his tendency to step on her toes while filming their dance scenes from somewhere in time in 1980. (laughs) He wore nearly 25 different Superman costumes for Superman in 1978, some of which were specifically for walking and others that were built for flying and some of which were turquoise for blue screenshots in order to balance out the blue of the uniform.
1: Okay, yeah, I can see that.
0: While Reeve was filming Somewhere in Time in 1980, the local theater decided to show his breakout hit Superman. Many Somewhere in Time cast members joined locals for the event. Early into the screening, the sound went out. Reeve, who who was seated next to co-star Jane Seymour, stood up in the audience and delivered all the
1: lines. Huh. that is awesome what a trooper I mean that means he knew not only his own lines but he knew the script he knew everyone's lines can you imagine that's an actor for you right there in front there. of all of them that's amazing like some people just could like I got my lines and I'm, I'm not really care, yeah. <laughs> like I, I know what, how I'm responding emotionally and everything but, but also so you remember you, every single line
0: there's some movies that if you pay close attention, you, you can see the other actor or actresses lipping the other lines too you know what I mean they're not saying them but they, they know yeah because oh, they're keeping journey. their they cues
1: right. and everything yeah
0: April ninth, nineteen seventy nine, 1979, after meeting Reeve at the Academy Awards, John Wayne, then ill with cancer, turned to Cary Grant and said, This is our new man, he's taking over. Two months and two days later, june eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, John Wayne died. Hmm. So John Wayne seen something in him. Yeah. Was the very first caller into into doctor Fraser Crane's radio show on the situation comedy Fraser in
1: nineteen ninety three. Interesting.
0: He was considered for the role of Wesley in The Princess Bride.
1: <laughs> that would have been very interesting. Uh,
0: he was also considered for the role in James Bond's The Living Daylights. Wow!
1: Can yeah, you imagine?
0: I mean uh, that just shows to show you what kind of actor he was. These people. Oh were.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, he also shares the same birthday as Will Smith.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
0: So quotes, and you know all this the stuff that this guy went through just to have his his outlook on life was amazing. Oh yeah so his quotes either you decide to stay in the shallow end of the pool or you go out into the ocean
1: yeah I mean
0: <laughs> what makes Superman a hero is not that he has power but that he has the wisdom and the maturity to use the power wisely from an acting point of view that's how I approach the part yep a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles
1: pretty much nailed it yeah
0: on Robin Williams visiting him in the, in the hospital shortly after his accident, he had this to say. There was this guy wearing a blue scrub hat and a yellow gown and with a Russian accent being some, some insane Russian doctor. I laughed for the very first time and I knew that life was going to be okay.
1: <laughs> so Robin Williams <laughs> went in there and just – That's great.
0: I have seen firsthand how Superman actually transforms people's lives. I have seen children dying of brain tumors who wanted at their last request to be able to talk to me and have gone to their graves with a peace brought on knowing that their belief in this kind of character is intact. I have seen that Superman really matters. They're connecting with someone very basic. The ability to overcome obstacles, the ability to persevere, the ability to understand difficulty, and to turn your back on it.
1: And I want to add that it's super awesome that this continues. This is, you know, it didn't just end with Christopher Reeve. Well, I mean, he Superman has
0: that foundation every, too. You know, that's still doing research and everything. So, and
1: so, uh, you know, every actor that's preceded him has played a really iconic hero role. Has, you know, gone to these charities and seen, you know, these terminally ill kids dressed up in costume, right. and well, I mean, a lot of the even, times on their and of their own volition. Like, I
0: mean, you even think of like John Cena. I think he he's oh like yeah. the
1: Make a Wish number
0: one record breaker or John whatever. John Cena's reason. awesome, yeah. On his close friend with Robin Williams, thank God I wear a seatbelt in this chair because I would have fallen out laughing. In the middle of a tragedy like this, in the middle of a depression, you can still experience genuine joy and laughter and love. And anyone who says life's not worth living is totally wrong. Totally wrong. That's awesome. And so uh, I went ahead and just wrote down his salaries that he got paid for the three Supermans that I have found. Superman, he got paid 250000 in 1978. Superman two in 1980, he got paid half a million And Superman 3 in 1983, he got a million. Nice. So, all right, we're about ready to jump into the unknown facts, so buckle up. It's about to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) To obtain the musculature to convincingly play Superman, Christopher Underwent a bodybuilding regime supervised by David Prowse, the man who played Darth Vader. Got them gains. According to Roger Moore's autobiography, he witnessed Christopher Reeve walking through the canteen at Pinewood Studios in full Superman costume, oblivious to the swooning female admirers he left in his wake when he did the same thing dressed as Clark Kent.
1: No one paid attention. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> a fun fact about uh, the whole, you know, Superman, Clark Kent, because everybody goes, how, how, how would you, like, you would know because he just put on glasses. You would be amazed with just a pair of glasses and a different hairstyle can do. Right. Um, we, the, uh, When I used to work at uh, Fry's Electronics, like, a long time ago, uh, someone did just that. And not on purpose or anything, but he put on glasses because he lost his contacts and he had his hair different. So he came in and this, as soon as he came in, someone was like, who's the new guy? Right. And then like, it took us a moment and, then, and he's like, what? No, it's me guys. Like, what? <laughs> well, this, well, this
0: happened to me probably two years ago. Um, you know, I, I came straight for church and I mean, I usually wear like my, I'm like, you can tell right now I'm not clean shaven. I wear a hat and all this, but I came straight from church into work. And I still had like khakis on and I had like a dress shirt and I had my hair combed over and sh- yeah. clean shaven and, um, somebody drove by me and says, "Hey, have you seen Jimbo?" You know they were checking people in. I was like, yeah. uh, "You drove by me like four times." <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it does make a difference. Steven Spielberg was offered the chance to direct this film. Producers balked at the salary he asked for. They decided to see how Jaws in 1975, which he had just completed, did at the box office. That movie was a huge success, and Spielberg went on to other projects. That makes sense. Marlon Brando was paid $3.7 million plus a percentage of the gross, for 12 days of shooting. Wow. The payment also covered the sequel, which was shot at the same time. Brando did not appear in the sequel because he'd sued Ilya Salkin, claiming Salkin had not paid him his percentage of the profits. He ultimately received about $14 million for 10 minutes of screen time. The footage shot for the sequel
1: was used in Superman Returns in 2006. So that is very interesting that the first and second one were filmed at the same time. Yes. Like a lot of the times you film the first one not even I, that's, knowing that's, if you get a second That's one. why I
0: wanted to keep these uh, a lot of these notes intact because a lot of that combines together, you know what I mean? Yeah. Initially, Gene Hackman refused to cut off his mustache to play Lex Luthor. In early one-sheets of the movie, his face is featured with a mustache. Before Richard Donner and Hackman met face-to-face, Donner proposed to Hackman that he would cut his mustache. Donner would cut his, too, and Hackman agreed. It turned out later that Donner did not have a mustache at all. He wore a false mustache, then peeled it off at the last moment.
1: That's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Uh, Richard Donner was not asked to return to complete Superman two because he publicly criticized the Salkins. Margot Kidder who had openly supported Donner, found her role as Lois Lane reduced to a cameo in Superman 3. Christopher Reeve worked out so much during the making of this film that the traveling mat shots taken of him at the beginning of the shoot did not match the later shots, and they had to be retaken. That makes sense. Clark Kent and Superman's hair part on opposite sides. Okay, interesting. Marlon Brando refused to memorize most of his lines in advance. In the scene where he puts infant Kal-El into the escape pod... He was actually reading his lines from the diaper of the baby. He told director Richard Donner the only way to keep his performance fresh and not over rehearsed was to record the first time he read the lines.
1: Oh, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> one take, that's it. <laughs> to maintain on
0: screen continuity, Christopher Reese dubbed all of Jeff East's dialogue as young Clark Kent. East's voice is never heard during the film. So maybe that's why I didn't know because it's actually yeah. his voice. Richard Forgot Donner on
1: for continuity, right? Right.
0: Richard Donner was disgusted that production designer John Barry and cinematographer Jeffrey Unsworth received no recognition from the Academy for their work on this film. He was particularly aggrieved aggrieved that one of the nominees for Best Art Direction was California Sioux, which merely duplicated an existing hotel while Barry created an entire fictional city and a fortress in the Arctic.
1: And that happens a lot, to be honest. Um, Just recently, in the most recent awards, I believe the Best... uh, uh, like camera work went to um the movie about uh Queen and that was the shabbiest editing that's what it was. It was best film editing and it went to uh that you know that movie um that was the most horrendous editing ever like just random shots, shots that don't make sense just complete things that I guess could be seen as an artistic thing, but it, it just none of it made sense. It should not have won editing so it happens a lot where you see. Uh, something that should win and it doesn't, and then something else kind of left field wins. And you're like, wait, oh, all right. Yeah, well, uh, Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, it was Marlon Brando's idea to have Jor-El wear the S symbol on his clothes that Kyle L would later wear as Superman. Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were both delighted with the results of the film. So, hey, you're getting the nod from the creators, kind of like uh, when we did talk about the Magnificent Seven when. Uh, what's his name? Yogamato. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Gave him the ceremonial sword. Oh, yeah, prayed.
1: yeah. Uh, uh, um, why am I blank? this? Is how tired I am. Uh, Akira Kusawa. Yeah.
0: To achieve the shot of young Clark Kent kicking a football into orbit, an air cannon was placed underground and a football fired from it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Christopher Reeve was an unknown actor at the time. The credits nearly in nearly every trailer for this film list Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman before Reeve, who played Superman. On his first day on the set, Marlon Brando suggested to Richard Donner that the cameras roll during rehearsal. Brandon reportedly said, who knows, we might get lucky. According to Donner, that very first take was the one that was used in the finished film.
1: Oh, wow. So that's that's interesting that they were able to do that. Because film is expensive, which means uh, you know they had the budget to do that. Uh, I've seen a lot of sets where the reason why you rehearse a lot of the times is because you don't have the money to to waste film on a take. And I that wonder if that's why work. there's some scenes
0: that are left in movies that are obviously errors or continuity. Yeah. Um, Marlon Brando sued the Salkins and Warner Brothers for 50 million because he felt cheated out of the film's considerable box office profits. This is the main reason why footage of Brando does not appear in Superman 2. The movie was filming in New York City on the night of the 1977 blackout. The New York Daily News was all able to publish despite the blackout because the film company let the newspaper use their generators. Huh. So The Superman S logo that Marlon Brando wears on his white cloak looks the same as the one used for George Reeves' costume in the television show Adventures of Superman in 1952. This was probably an homage, since this film, the idea of the S symbol being a Kryptonian family crest of the House of El has been incorporated into Superman comic books and subsequent adaptation.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: A scene in which Jor-El explains to Superman why he must keep his secret identity was added for the Director's cut. Marlon Brando's salary made him the highest-paid movie star in the world at the time. In the Hmm. world.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Gene Hackman flatly refused to shave his head or wear a bald cap to play Lex Luthor. (laughs) To get around this issue, Hackman's own natural hair was styled differently from scene to scene to give the appearance of him having changed hair pieces. Numerous hair pieces are visible in his underground complex. Hagman relented and wore a skull cap in one scene, and when he is taken to the prison by Superman, it is visible when he angrily rips off his hairpiece to address the prison's warden, who questions who he is. Hagman was also forced to shave off his mustache, which he kept was which he was keen on keeping at the time. <laughs> so it's, it's just amazing just... how some of these people, you know, have demands. <laughs> you know oh yeah, I
1: mean? I mean, it's interesting when you know what kind of character you're getting into and you make those demands. I mean, you have a lot of. Uh, just, you know, throughout Hollywood history, right? Actors and actresses who will cut their hair to portray the character that they're playing. Yep. And so uh,
0: Sigourney Weaver uh, and Aliens. Mm hmm. Uh, for his portrayal of Clark Kent, Christopher Reeve based the performance on Cary Grant's character in Bringing Up Baby in 1938. Interesting. Richard Donner had effectively shot 75% of Superman 2 in 1980 when he was fired. And I will say this if you ever get a chance to watch Superman 2, watch the Richard Donner cut. Because there's so much more in that movie, and that's the way the movie should have been, instead of what we got.
1: Yeah, so. exactly.
0: Originally, the helicopter scene was simply going to have Superman save Lois from falling. Later, Richard Donner decided to have the helicopter drop, and modified the scene was called the double jeopardy scene. Hmm. The film was planned in three years and shot in two. At the height of filming, over one thousand full-time crew on eleven units were spread over three studios and eight countries. Over one million feet of film was used, and it had the highest production budget of any film at the time. Richard Donner has a cameo in the movie as a skeptical man who talks to Clark Kent in front of the televisions, right after the first appearance of Superman. In its initial run, the film topped the box office charts for 13 consecutive weeks. During the scene in which Superman and Lois go flying together, and then Superman flies away, there is no cut between Superman flying away and Clark showing up at Lois' door. This was done using a pre-recorded movie of Superman flying away on a screen with Lois standing in front of it. Then as she walks away from the balcony, she crosses from the screen to the set with her apartment where she opens the door to reveal the real-time Clark Kent.
1: Hmm.
0: So just some of the movie magic that happened. Yeah. This film's credits sequence cost more than most movies made up to that point.
1: <laughs> just the credits.
0: You know the you know the intro where yeah. it's got those 3D graphics. Yeah. Christopher. I mean, Reed. special
1: effects is expensive. It always has been.
0: Uh, I wonder if it's getting any cheaper though, with all the computer stuff. It's not
1: actually. It really isn't. I mean, there's. Uh, you would think just on time alone, it would save money. Well, like, here, here's an example of like how much money and how expensive, it, like that, it affects writing. So, uh, in the last season of Game of Thrones, right? Um, Super mild spoiler, but like when John doesn't pet Ghost. That was because they couldn't afford to have him pet Ghost. Like, they literally could not afford to have him interact with the CG and then edit the CG to make it look real and believable. So, yeah. So that's an example of, you know, just they couldn't afford the special effects, right? Um, So there's a lot of decisions and stuff. I I believe there was a season where you you didn't see the dragons at all, and that's because they didn't have the budget to CG the dragons. Uh, It's very, very expensive.
0: Christopher Reeve proved to be an even greater asset than anticipated after being cast. Reeve flew gliders as a hobby and used his experience as a pilot to make Superman's flying feel more believable. His performance as both Superman and Clark Kent was roundly praised in making this superhero's secret identity seem surprisingly convincing. Hmm. Here we go. Robert Redford, Clint Eastwood, and James Caan were all offered the movie's title role. All three turned it down. Redford wanted too much money. Clint Eastwood said he was too busy, and Khan said, There's no way I'm getting into that silly suit.
1: <laughs> I mean I I, I could not I'm, I'm glad it wasn't Clint Eastwood. Like he's more of a, a, a Western, a, yeah. Gruff. Well I mean not even just Western, but he's too he's too gritty for Superman, you know what I mean? Like but he has grit, as, you know. Yeah. Even even as you know, when he was young, he always he's always had that grit, you know what I mean? Go uh, ahead,
0: Lex Luthor. Make my day. <laughs> Make my day. <laughs> Casting director Lynn Stallmaster was the first to suggest Christopher Reeve for the title role, but Richard Donner and the Salkins felt he was too young and too skinny. Nevertheless, Reeve did an excellent screen test that blew the director and producers away. Once he had the part, he underwent a strict physical training session for months, going from 170 pounds to 212 in the period from pre-production to filming.
1: And that just goes to show, like, what? Dedication. Dedication, and, and like this is another thing you see throughout... Hollywood is just the extreme weight loss the extreme weight gain the extreme like well, fast like, muscle like has, anybody's <laughs> ever seen, has anybody
0: seen Endgame yeah, you, the Thor you know oh, what I mean yeah. how they put There's on a- <laughs> the weight <laughs> uh, in addition to playing Clark Kent and Superman Christopher Reeve also supplied the voice of the Metropolis Metropolis air traffic controller he had served on the radio just before the helicopter crash and during the Air Force One scene the end title sequence is more than seven minutes long a record at the time of the film's release in 1978 Richard, Donner, can you imagine? Oh, by the way, John Williams, we need you to create a seven-minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Richard Donner spent virtually a year working on the 2001 DVD release, reinstating some footage and preparing several making-of documentaries. Richard Donner first asked Jerry Goldsmith to do the score, and he agreed. However, a schedule conflict came about, and John Williams eagerly replaced Goldsmith, who six years later would write the music for Supergirl. Uh, he's another good uh, composer. Yes, thank you. Uh, The filmmakers made it a priority to shoot all of Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman's scenes first, as they were the most in-demand actors and were committed to other projects right afterwards. That makes sense. Peter Boyle auditioned for the part of Otis, Lex Luthor's bumbling accomplice. Gene Hackman was initially reluctant to take the part of Lex Luthor, and he felt it would have damaged his reputation as a serious actor. Hmm. Margot Kidder was originally supposed to sing the song "Can You Read My Mind" for the flying sequence with Superman, but Richard Donner disliked it and changed it to a voiceover.
1: So, so on the, on the previous fact, it's really interesting how you, you how things have changed as far as uh, acting and portraying a superhero. Like when when this was being casted for, no one they, as we see through all these different facts. It, it, People didn't want it because it was like, oh, it's it's a superhero thing, and, and, and things were, of course, were a lot a little more campy back Maybe then. Maybe they didn't want to get typecasted. Yeah, exactly. Well, not you know not being typecasted, but also like it wasn't so much a serious thing, like uh, b- b- because besides for some of the previous movies, right? Uh, everything has sort of been less serious, and this is actually um, now given. I'm not 100 percent sure of the order of things as far as movies coming out, but I, I believe this would be the more serious uh superhero movie it would be Superman,
0: right? And uh, also about typecasting. Uh, Chris Christopher asked somebody, I've, I meant to write down, but I didn't. About how do I keep from being typecasted? And they responded by, "Well, first you got to do a good enough job to have them call you again, kid." <laughs> so, yeah, that's
1: that's true. Uh, yeah.
0: A man riding a motorcycle dragging a bag of dirt was used to make the effect of Clark running down the dirt road after jumping in front of the train. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing. You got know, you just see the, yes,
0: I was gonna say. The Mario Puzo screenplay that Richard Donner inherited and quickly rewrote included one infamous camp moment where Lex Luthor encountered Terry Saval- Telly Savalas, who played Kojak in a railway station. Kojak then offered Luthor a lollipop and asked him his trademark line, "Who loves you, baby?"
1: Huh.
0: According to Jeff Dees, who played young Clark Kent during the shot in which Clark jumps in front of the train, he was nearly hit by it. However, stuntman Richard Hagman grabbed him just in time, and East avoided being injured.
1: Wow! Wow! I could have been. Uh, yeah, I could have been devastating.
0: <laughs> deadly. Jack Klugman uh, was the first choice to play Perry White, but he turned it down at the last minute. Eddie Albert tentatively agreed to the part, then demanded more money. uh, With filming of Perry due to start the next day, a frantic search for a replacement actor resulted in Keenan Wynn accepting the part. After a long flight, the 61-year-old was rushed to the studio for screen test. Afterward, he complained of chest pains, was rushed to the hospital, and collapsed from extreme exhaustion. Wow. <coughs> you know, kind of like you do sometimes during this podcast. <laughs> I
1: can't help it. These 11 hours shifts are killing me.
0: <laughs> the helicopter scene uh, was intended to be shot on top of the then Pan Am building until a real-life accident on the heliport killed several passengers. Oof. The original Superman costume was going to be a much darker blue, but this became transparent with the blue screen for the visual effects. In the scenes where the burglar... Is scaling the office building and falling off it, the guy in his office, whose window he passes, was strapped into the chair and hanging upside down. Most of the building was horizontal, with the footage flipped to make it look as though they were actually on the side of the building.
1: Gotta love the special effects.
0: <laughs> Pre-production began in Rome, with most attention being spent on an unsuccessful experiments to make Superman fly. Ilya Salkin later bemoaned the fact that they lost over $2 million on on aborted flying tests. The Italian pre-production had to be abandoned when it was discovered that Marlon Brando could not visit Italy because there was a warrant out for his arrest, accusing him <laughs> of an obscenity charge thanks to his involvement in Bernard B- B- Bertolisi's last tangle in Paris in
1: 1972. Wow. An obscenity charge. Obscenity charge. Just, That's, oh, wow. Just just thinking about that in Times context. have changed. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can be fined for for foul language. It's crazy.
0: When Superman crashes to Earth, his first feat of strength is lifting a truck over his head. The first appearance of Superman Action Comics No. 1 featured a cover of Superman lifting a car over his head.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's
0: iconic. As the production budget and shooting schedule escalated, Richard Donner found the Salkins constantly on his back. Richard Lester was brought in to mediate the relationship between the director and his producers as both parties refused to talk to each other. <laughs> Christopher Reeve was picked from over 200 actors who auditioned for the role of Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman. This was the second highest grossing film of 1978 behind the musical, Grease.
1: Okay. Yeah, it is me. the word. <laughs>
0: uh, Geoffrey Unsworth believed that he accidentally caused the infamous blackout in 1977 when he plugged the spotlight to a lamppost during the shooting of the film. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> wow. After the success of Rocky in 1976, Sylvester Stallone lobbied hard to play Clark Kent, Superman, but was ultimately turned down. He was deemed too Italian. (laughs) Stallone found out that Marlon Brando, who had casting approval, turned him down for the role just as he allegedly vetoed Burt Reynolds casting as Sonny in The Godfather. There you go, Samuel. There's a Godfather reference for you. Uh, Responding to the rumor that Brando told Playboy magazine interview Lawrence Goebel, Francis Ford Coppola would never have cast Burt Reynolds. Stallone subsequently went on Merv Griffin's talk show and denounced Brando, saying he had no respect for the superstar as an actor or as a man. Oof. This surprised many, as the early Stallone, as he had on uh, earlier on Burrins, had clearly modeled himself after Brando, particularly Brando's characterization of Terry Malloy on in The Waterfront in 1954 in his own role as Stanley Roselio in The Lords of Flatbush. A man named Stanley... Uh, uh, Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar Named Desire in 1951 and who had a coop of pigeons in his tenement roof like Telly- Terry Malloy. This mimicry might have been one of the reasons Brando reportedly had such apathy for both actors. Stallone later explained that he left or that he felt that it was hypocritical that Brando, who stated on numerous occasions that he took the role of jor L. simply as a paycheck and nothing more, vetoed him for the role of Superman. Unlike Brando, Stallone grew up emulating and idolizing Clark Kent, uh, Superman, and continues to, as well as having a great love for the comics mythology. Ironically, in his review for the Stallone film Rocky in 1976, Roger Ebert called Stallone the next Marlon Brando. So there we go with the petty stuff like The Magnificent Seven. You know, yeah. Actors just can't get along.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, uh, You know what? That's obviously the best choice on the casting. I mean, it, it uh, not only... I mean, can
0: you really see Brocky as Superman?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm glad I mean, he's I'm, Rocky. I'm trying to picture
0: Superman. him, you know what I mean? And I just don't know if it would have worked.
1: My name's <laughs> Carl
0: Yo, Lois Lane. <laughs> Lois. <laughs> Lois. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> to attain the glowing effect of the clothing on Krypton, the wardrobe department spent weeks sewing tiny glass balls on each actor's apparel. If the material was actually touched, the oils on the actor's hands would interfere with the lighting effect, leaving a dull patch on the costume.
1: Wow! Yeah, you had to be very careful with it.
0: The Kansas scenes were shot near Calgary, Alberta, because of their growing se- uh, because of their growing season was ahead, and the wheat fields were at the right height. Hmm. In the scene where Lois Lane interviews Superman on the balcony, Superman replies, "I never lie." Elias Salkin felt that this was an important point in the film, since Superman, living under his secret identity as Clark Kent, is telling the biggest lie of all time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Along with Marlon Brando, Mario Puzo also sued the Salkins for non-payment of fees. Hmm. It took three to four hours every day to apply the makeup on Jeff East to make him resemble Christopher Reeve.
1: Wow. Wow. So that's what. That's why you couldn't tell. I mean, yep. it's, they put a lot of time into I, making it. Kind of I
0: wonder like, if we, Jeff East ever looks back is like, man, I wish we had CGI back to, him <laughs> to set
1: this chair for. Right. Uh,
0: Paul Newman was offered the choice of playing Superman, Lex Luthor, or Jor El for the fee of four million dollars. Newman was not interested in any of them.
1: For Paul $4 Newman,
0: million dollars. Yeah. George Kennedy, Jack Nicholson, and Gene Wilder wow. were considered for the role of Lex Luthor. Nicholas, who, spent, who went on to play the Joker in Batman in 1999, was considered to play Luther in a Superman film project in the 1990s. This was ultimately shelved.
1: Imagine Gene Wilder as like Luther. <laughs> I think he could have nailed it, dude.
0: <laughs> I do th- I I think. I love Gene Wilder. Honestly, he's probably one of my top three favorite I think, actors.
1: I think, you know, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson or Gene Wilder, they both would have nailed it, to be honest. There's
0: another one. Dustin Hoffman turned down the part of Lex Luthor. Oh, wow. Okay, so I think he would have nailed it, too. <laughs> yeah. According to the DVD commentary by Richard Donner, Goldie Hahn was the first choice for the role of Eva Tesmacher. When Hahn wanted too much money, Donner approached Anne Margaret, who also asked too much. So they are going after some big-name stars for this.
1: And then figuring out they can't afford them.
0: Yeah, right, but then they still cast them. <laughs> Uh, Mario Puzo's script proved to be too epic and too expensive, so the team of David Newman and Robert Benton was brought in to home them down. Benton was committed to directing The Late Show in 1977, so Leslie Newman, David Newman's wife, came on board, mainly to write Lois Lane's dialogue. Their rewrite was more campy than Puzo's, and even included a cameo appearance by Kojak, the popular television detective. Oh, here we go. Are you ready for this one? Let's do it. Carrie Ooze. You know who that? E-L-W-E-S. Carrie Ooze?
1: New. No. He's um, as you wish. Oh, okay. Right.
0: Uh, worked on a production assistant. Uh, worked as a production assistant whose job it was to bring Marlon Brando out of his trailer every day. Brando, who was paid one million a day in overages, had little incentive to leave his trailer. According wow. to Ooze, an interview given to uh, Ophir uh, Eisberg on the NPR show "Ask Me Another," and refused to call Ooze by his given name, choosing said to refer to the, teen, the then teenage boy as. Rocky. (laughs) Which I wonder if that was another jab at Sylvester Stallone. I know, right? (laughs) Rocky. Rocky. Much of the footage for what would become Superman 2 in 1980 was written and shot simultaneously with the original. Before shooting was complete for the sequel, however, Richard Donner was fired and replaced with Richard Lester, who reshot most of the footage by Donner. Christopher Reeve attended a Special Olympics fundraiser held at Arnold Schwarzenegger's house for the film's premiere in 1978. Reeve was offered but turned down the two roles of to Schwarzenegger, The Running Man in 87, and Total Reclaw 1990, the year you were born. Lee Quigley, who played Superman as a baby, died in 1991 from inhaling, inhaling solvents at the age of 14. Oh. Man, that's terrible. Jeff East, who played Clark Kent as a teenager, auditioned to play him as an adult. He was also auditioned for the role of Jimmy Olsen.
1: Hmm.
0: Richard Donner was originally planning to direct Damien Omen II, 1978, when he was hired to direct this film for $1 million. Donner began by throwing out the script and hiring Tom McKinziewicz to write him a new one. The first baby who played kal in the flight sequence uh, of the escape castle was Elizabeth Sweetman, so it was a girl. The filming took place at Pinewood Studios in October 1978, when Sweetman was six months old. She earned 40 pounds per day for four days' work, netting a grand total of 120 pounds, after
1: agency fee deductions. Wow. So Superman was a girl. Yeah. I mean, like, so uh, they probably wanted to just, they you can, with babies, you can't tell anyway. So it's just like, let's just choose the cutest baby. <laughs> and then like, that's a very cute baby. Let's use that for the baby Superman. Uh, right. Yeah. Superman, that would be Supergirl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At one point, shooting slowed down to the point where only 30 seconds of film were being shot in one day. Wow. Wow. That's 30 seconds of film. It was shot in one day. No wonder it took two years to use the film. <laughs> Charlton Heston was considered for the role of Jor-El. Huh. Among the actresses who screen-tested for the role of Lois Lane were Ann Archer, Leslie Ann Warren, Deborah Raffin, Susan Blakely, Stalker Channing, and April Byron. One of the reasons Margot Kidder was chosen over them was the fact that she was the only one who saw the humor in the line, What color underwear am I wearing? <laughs> Which is an iconic scene. Oh, yeah. And she's like, Oh, He knows. Mario Puzo was hired as the initial writer to give the script additional credibility. Hmm. And we'll stop with this one for part one. Uh, the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie of the 1970s. The next decade, the highest grossing movie for Warner Brothers will be another DC comic superhero, Batman, in 1989, which starred Michael Keaton. And Jack Nicholson.
1: Oh, Michael Keaton.
0: So this is this is coming up on an hour, real quick. So we're gonna take a little break, um, get Terrence woke up a little bit, <laughs> get some splash some water on his face, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll start part two. So that's it for the end of the well, show. So oh.
1: I had one last little bit. Just oh. since we mentioned Michael Keaton, I am so glad he's even though he came back as a villain, which he did an amazing job. I'm glad he's back in the comic realm of things playing you know the vulture in spider-man he, homecoming he
0: is such an underrated actor he really is one of well, another one of my favorites which we got to cover is mr mom yes. it is fantastic i mean i liked him in the, the bird Birdman or whatever it was or whatever that was a little weird that okay i'm so, not gonna lie i didn't really but he was amazing and it was just from yeah, yeah, yeah. uh,
1: uh the, but, the Birdman know, had had an interesting um sort of objective when they when right. they filmed it right
0: but I mean, like when he came back, what was it? Spider-Man as uh, the Homecoming, Vulture,
1: as the Vulture. Oh, he <gasps> made an amazing Vulture. Great.
0: First of all, the, he the, played the... a good bad guy. And what was that movie? Um, wasn't he in the movie where he was uh, like a uh, he was a criminal or something, and he was in the hospital, and they wanted to take his organs out to give to a dying kid or something? Yeah. And man, he was fantastic in that. Too. I can't think of the name of it. I'm sure Samuel will probably let me know via message here So with that being said, uh, part one coming to a wrap and, and cut. cut.